0: Your throne of grace and we just want to find your mercy and grace to help us uh, as we <clears throat> live this life, guided by you, loved by you, and called by you. Father, we are equipped by you to do every good work, and we really thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us purpose and meaning in our lives, and it increases every single day. And uh, we just honor you today. We love you. Speak to us, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, and praise God. So today we're going to talk about the fact. That That this same Jesus is coming for us. Amen. This same Jesus is coming for us as men as you uh, if if he tarries and we no man knows the day or the hour so it's always good to uh, be committed to God every single day don't take a day off don't go on vacation from God but stay before him all the time because you, you just never know uh, when the door will open for you to speak for God. To Minister to someone, to help someone. Uh, And and even if you uh, have a routine of helping God in some ways, it can always increase. It's just wonderful uh, to know that he wants to use his people to affect the world for good. And that's something that all Christians can do. Uh, And that's good. In Acts chapter 1, if you'll turn there. In verse 11, and we see where uh, Jesus has appeared uh, once again. This is his final appearance to his people, the church, the called out ones. Um, those who are, are looking for him and uh, being obedient. It says, <clears throat> He gave many convincing proofs after uh, he was raised from the dead. And so about the 40th day, it says, uh, they, uh, verse 6, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or kingdom to Israel? And we know that when they say kingdom, they mean one thing and he means something else. Uh, what they're thinking about is earthly power. They're thinking about freedom from Roman oppression and uh, all of that. You know, they could have been freed from Rome's oppression any time if they repented. The only time God had his people go into bondage under another government's rule was when they disobeyed him. When you're dark and you lost your way, you can't find God and and so he puts you under the authority of someone. But God always warned Israel when, when those times came what to do. He said, turn away from your wicked ways seek my face and repent and I'll restore you and so Israel is waiting for restoration of all things but instead of God just sending uh, deliverance from the earthly oppression he sends his son and that's what is the the defining uh, activity that's going on here do you or don't you believe Jesus is the Messiah the son of God if you do believe it what are you going to do about it so there's always a something to do with that revelation. You know, you just can't believe that and leave it hanging out there. You have to believe it unto salvation. And so he says, Jesus said to them in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or dates or seasons the Father has set by his own authority. But there is a power, if you're looking for power... And he he knows how to read their hearts. When they say kingdom, they mean I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to have a bunch of property. It's kind of like the wealth transfer people in the church today. You know, His kingdom is not of this world. What do you need so much money for? The gospel's free. It doesn't cost you anything to go over your neighbor and pray for them. It doesn't cost you anything to go on a street corner and pass out tracks, and not much, just the cost of the tracks. So there's there's something there. There's always something in the things that we anticipate. You have to discern in that if there's how much earthly value there is to what it is that you desire. And if there's too much earthly value, you need to ask God if that, if He put that on your heart to want. You know, when, when the Lord delays His coming, which we're in one of those seasons now in the church where people are kind of mulling around and mm, what do I do? Mm, we got time on our hands. Mm, what do we? Well, you do the Great Commission at all times. You don't. There's never a place where there's no mandate on the church to work for God. It's always there, but it's during these times that man tends to want to create a vision or create a prophecy or create a something to look for and if it's tied to earthly things you need to put a big question mark out there because this earth is going to perish one day Jesus teaches us to not lay up treasures here on earth but lay them up in heaven so really the church should always be about storing up treasure in heaven and that's eternal things like souls it's eternal things like the works of Jesus to defeat the devil uh, every time he pops up so it's never any question about what we should be about doing but it just seems that church people tend to like uh, pet things you know is it's, they want to hear uh, some kind of movement going through and everybody catch on to that and they, you know you, you hear all these little phrases where uh, prominent preachers or popular preachers will write books and have a title out there and everybody wants to repeat that and then they've got this and everybody wants to see that and they've they got movies that they can go see and everybody runs to see the movie but at the end of that are you really doing what God sent you here to do? You know, the mature bride understands... What God wants done and is about doing it while everybody else is scrambling for the new fad or the new thing to to talk about. Sometimes it's a new prophet that's popular. Oh, I'm going to so-and-so's meeting. You know, I'm going to go get a prophecy from so-and-so. And, and then that peters out. You find out so-and-so is a human being just like you are. And so, you know, people now they don't like that person. You know, it just comes and it goes. But the bride of Christ is the one who is... is is set in in uh, trusting in the Lord in doing the Lord's will whether it's the popular thing to do or not whether it's the going thing to do or not but just be faithful to God doing his will and so they ask him when the kingdoms he said it's not in my authority he said, but let me tell you what I have planned for you next and that is you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So when the church gets distracted by worldly ambition, Jesus brings us back to get about doing what I told you to do. Get take the power that I've given you to do good down here on earth and get about doing it. That, that's all we can do. That's all we're supposed to do. And he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Get to getting. But you sitting up here staring. He's gone. I. <laughs> he said he has left the room. Remember that Elvis has left the building. Well, Jesus has left the earth. And he said, why are you standing here looking into the sky? He said, this same Jesus... Who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you saw him leave. So the same way he left is the way he's coming back. He's not coming back to anybody to give them a false vision to start a new religion he's not coming back to walk through your bedroom and tell you you're the next great preacher that's ever going to hit the earth he's not coming back for those things now Jesus does appear to people and I don't deny that but when he comes back to the earth he will descend from the sky just like he said here the book of first Thessalonians confirms that and tells us how he will will, uh, break through the sky and the dead in Christ will rise first those who are alive and remain will be caught up forever to meet the Lord in the air. And so we know His appearing will come as a great, so, so to speak, eruption in the earth, and He will descend back into earth. This same Jesus will descend the same way that He left. So we have our information on that. We understand what the Lord's going to do, and we understand that He is coming back. When we don't know, how we do know. And for what is the other part of it? So what is he coming back for and who is he coming back for? So uh, in John 14, if you'll go there, you'll see a a uh, description that, that Jesus gives of his departure. While he's on earth, he talks about his departure, and he talks about the purpose of his departing. And he says in, in John 14, uh, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay. You believe in God, believe also in me so jesus lets them know that there are going to be some changes as far as his relationship with the people on the earth is concerned but don't let your heart be troubled he this is is right after the last supper he's talking to the the disciples really at the last supper and so what he's talking about when you when when you had a covenant with somebody you you having that meal was one of many steps in the covenant if um, there's some some people historians who have made uh, studies of how people have been able to navigate through uh, different societies and different cultures without being harmed or without being killed. One of the great stories is about uh, 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 Dr. Livingston who was a medical doctor and a missionary in Africa and nobody would heard from him in years. And uh, uh, Stanley who was a journalist in England uh, got permission from his boss to go find him. And that was a great undertaking because he didn't know where he was. He just knew he was last seen in a certain place, etc., etc. And Stanley got over there and got intrigued the places that this man had been. And when he found the last place he he was heard of, it was so far from where he started. And there's jungle, there's tribes, there's in some, some tribal cultures, they kill you, period. They just kill strangers. They don't ask your name, ask nothing. And when he found Stanley, he had a goat. Uh, when he found Dr. Livingston, he had a goat. He had a staff and he had just recovered from an illness. And so as he talked to him, he found out that Dr. Stanley by accident found out how to preserve his life as he traveled throughout, all. I mean, I mean all over different different uh, nations. He was in the Congo, and then he was in, these places don't exist anymore by names, some old names of them, because it was at the turn of the 20th century. But he found out that by accident, uh, Dr. Stanley had made a blood covenant. With, with someone he was operating on a young girl, and she had something minor, and he, uh, he had, uh, when he started to, to make his incision, blood from her, her skin squirted on his eye. And she said, she said "You are a brother to me." The fact that her blood touched him meant that they were related from that he found out that this was how people made friends in primitive cultures so stanley went and cut the blood covenant with about 15 tribes he finally wound up with maybe the chiefest of the chief guys there and he cut covenant with him and that's how he got that staff so when you cut covenant with somebody they you mingle the blood you become family The staff represented this man's power and authority. So you transfer power to one another through this covenant so for instance if, if mr gary and i are, are covenant relatives and 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 he said well i'm going to give you uh this pen that is engraved with my name and every place that you go and show people this pen they'll know that you come in my name and my authority and you can have whatever you want and so this is how covenants work Now why is this important for us because at the last supper that was the covenant meal that Jesus cut with the church represented by the 12 disciples and so as he cuts covenant with them the next thing he does is lay out the terms of the covenant. So in the example between me and Mr. Gary he says just go anywhere you need them show them this thing of mine and and, and you'll be able to get anywhere you want to safely they respect me they know who I am they don't mess with my peeps because if something were ever to happen to you and I find out about it I'll retaliate against them and kill everybody there that was the covenant and how it worked. And so with us, we have the name of Jesus that entitles us to ask anything in that name. And he gives it to us. So with Mr. Gary it was go anywhere you want to. Do anything you want to do. And that's what Jesus is doing here. These are the terms of our covenant with him. In John chapter 14. John 13 he washed the disciples feet. Letting them know he was submitted to them. He was their servant. And he said if you're going to be successful in this covenant. You'll wash each other's feet. In other words you submit to one another in love. And in the fear of the Lord. And when you do that. Then he said I will be able to come for you and I will show up and do whatever it is that you want me to do. So Jesus in John chapter 14 is describing the terms of the new covenant that he just cut in his blood. And in 14 he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to the Father. So if you believe in, in God, believe also in me. I am the Father of one. In other words, you are being taken care of by a family. You're being taken care of by something far greater than you know. You're being taken care of by the eternal God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit and we all three have a function in your life. He says believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms King James says many mansions. A mansion was the addition, say if there was family property, and there always was in Israel. Those original 12 tribes were all given by lot. They were given a plot of land. Everybody, Every man had a land. You had to go fight and get it, but it was allotted to you. And so as the children married, the sons would bring the daughters to the family land. When they were betrothed to one another, which we call engaged, the son then would begin to build an extra room on the family property. It's called the mansion. Because it was the bridal chamber for the bride and the groom. And as their family grew and their children grew, they added on to their mansion. Well, when Jesus says the word, in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you, that's talk like marriage. Marriage is a covenant. So they should know from that. Now the, the Jew was, was schooled in what covenant was. They'd had a covenant with God forever. And so they understood these terms when Jesus would, would give them to him. And and so when they said mansion, what's he talking about mansion? That's for bride and the groom. But they understood the concept. They understood that this was a place that was being prepared for you. And Jesus says, if that were not so, I would not have told you. That so he knows this is hard for them to believe because they are accustomed to thinking of it in earthly terms like bride and bridegroom but if he's going to prepare a place for us it must mean that he is connected to us still he's anticipating getting back with us again all of that is locked up in his discourse here that he's not leaving them here he said I will not leave you here orphans I'll send you a comforter it'll be some Somebody that can tell you words to help you continue to believe that I'm coming back. So the Holy Spirit continually reminds the believer that Jesus is coming back. It may not be in your lifetime. Many people have believed this and gone on to be with the Lord. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. And Jesus says when that day comes he said people will be doing like they did when Noah got in the ark. He said they'll be having fun, drinking and beer blasts and, you know, protesting and all the things that people do. And then I'll crack the sky and it'll be too late for people who aren't prepared. But Jesus is coming back for a bride prepared for him. And he says, if it weren't so, I would not have told you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, that means I'm coming back for you. He says, so that where I am, you'll be with me, and I'll take you back to where I came from. And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going, because I am the way. So I'll live in you, I'll be with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Father is in me and with me, so you have everything that you need to continue to live this life on earth until I come back. And that's what, what Jesus means. So he is a bridegroom preparing a mansion in the sky for his bride. And Ephesians 5 tells us what he's looking for when he comes back. And this is a very important part. And it doesn't mean we get it together real quick when we think he's coming. You know like a bunch of little eye servants. But this is a process process. Preparing the bride is a process that Jesus has established so that. We can be complete and entire. There's change that needs to come in us and and things that need to be done. And that's what he's done. Just like preparing a place for us in heaven. There are things that have to be put together for us so that we can can, uh, live forever with him in the manner he wants us to live. So when he comes, he's looking for a bride. Ephesians 5 and 26 and 27. He says, let me see. Starting 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us So he loves us with a, a love like a bride does a groom. And that's reflecting back on what we just saw in John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he loves the church like a husband loves his wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself. So he does all the work. He does everything. Christ did us the hope of glory. Christ is the one who is working within us. To keep us pure, to enlighten us how to walk with him, to help us in our daily struggles, to, to uh, uh, encourage us from within and, and speak to us his word when we, when we need to, to keep on the, on the straight and narrow. So he wants a bride without wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. And so that's what he's coming back for. A bride without wrinkle it doesn't mean you haven't done anything bad in three days. When he says without wrinkle, that means a transformed bride. In in Romans chapter 12, it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is a bride that listens to him, that obeys him consistently. Not just... Real quick to get a prayer through or get something or get off the hot seat or get a bill paid or get a promotion and a job. You know, we all straighten up when we need something from God. But what he's talking about is a transformed bride. I remember when when God was healing me uh, from from a nervous breakdown. And I started to read. I just had such an appetite for the Bible. I read the Bible all the time, love the Word of God, and I started reading about husbands and wives, and and you know what what God you know expected out of a husband and a wife, and and you know I, I told somebody I said, well, I first started doing the things God prompted me to do. I said, and I did it with my mouth stuck out. You know, my mother used to say that she said, we put that lip in, I slap it in real good. I slapped across the room, you know. <laughs> Your lip was always someplace else. If you put it out there, you put it out far enough, i get it. And so <laughs> I would do that, and I had a bad attitude. And I, uh, and, and I asked God one time, I said, Well, how long do I have to do this? And he said, Until you enjoy it. I said, Oh. <laughs> okay. Joy. Where are you? Come on, Joy. Help me. See, when you enjoy things, you've been transformed. When you start loving the things you used to hate, you've been transformed. And you never go back to, you know, this eye service thing has got to stop. You know, people do something for a minute. And then they quit doing it because they think, you know, uh, it's not going to pay off or something. And anything God, change God makes in us, he wants it to be permanent. He's not telling you do this for a little minute and go back to whatever. He wants a permanent change in his bride. And a bride who doesn't resent the change. You know, it doesn't resent because you have it in you to do good. And he wants to bring that out of us. So that's, that's the whole thing when Jesus deals with us as a bride. He's preparing us to live with him eternally, to reign with him. It's not about you got saved and just go to heaven. There's a transformation process that he's looking for. When he cracks that sky, he's looking for specific things out of his people. So he's looking for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. So how does the bride prepare herself? And We just told you she doesn't. He doesn't. We're washed in water and in blood. We're washed in the water of the word. And we're washed in the blood of Jesus. The blood washing is for our righteousness. The water washing is for our sanctification. If you just believe the word of God, you won't mess around with the devil and his people. You won't get involved with anything carnal. You won't get involved with anything that that doesn't glorify God. And that's what he wants. He wants us to allow him to groom us and prepare us and to help us get ready for that time uh, to be with him. I was looking at uh, that she'll say yes to the dress. I love it and I hate it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's... It's just goofy stuff. I mean, they do the same plot over and over again. But sometimes if there's nothing else on, you know, it's a safe thing to watch. And so uh, many times I will watch it. And I'm always amazed at what the brides come in wanting to look like on their wedding day. And they got it all from something that looked like they work at Hooters or something like that to, you know, the long sleeves and high neckline and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I said, they go with everybody except the groom. Mm -hmm. But see, we're holy people. The groom is there to adorn us. We don't adorn ourselves, amen. Because we're to fit into His lifestyle, and not the reverse, amen. And so, you know, if if you really think about it, if the bride, if the groom is preparing a place for you and taking you to live with him, and all, you got to fit in with him. He don't fit in with you. This is not something you do on your own where you say, well, I'm saved and God wants me to do this. You see, I look at like a lot of these people and I talk about them all the time. You know, the Facebook self-appointed apostles and prophets and, and, you know, the other ministry gifts on there. You know, they're no more submitted to the Lord then you know that chair is and that chair can swing both ways and so you you have to understand that in order to honor God we have to submit to what he has for us not the other way around you don't look at somebody's ministry and get jealous and decide you can do that too or you, you want to do that too and you jump up and do it and think God's going to honor it and bless you for it in fact I don't think most people even think about what God thinks about what they do ministry wise they don't they couldn't you know the Bible says if you're called to the ministry to wait on your ministering you know it takes time to develop you so that you can be trustworthy around God's people you know that's not the easiest thing to do and so he's looking for a bride number one who is set apart from the world we talked about Romans 12 1 and 2 And she is transformed by the the renewing of her mind. She's a proven bride. She's been tested in all kinds of ways to see if she'll stay faithful to the Lord. One of the difficulties that we have in the church is compromise. People are always careful. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to, you know, do this or do that. I don't want to, you know, uh, you want to please God. Now to think that you're not going to offend anybody. And and let's get real here. Most people don't care that much whether they offend somebody or not. Only when they're doing something for God. And most people will say, "Well, I don't care what they say; I'm going to do this anyway." Well, you, you don't have any sensitivity about offending anybody when it's something you want to do, but when it's something for God, then we can find all kinds of ways to put it off, or excuse it, or not do it. Or television is very difficult because you can hear preachers say, and it's, "You know, well, you have to be careful. You can't preach the gospel being careful." People can't get saved from careful preaching. You know, the, some of the the revival preaching that you see, like now it's easy to get people saved because if you have a healing anointing, they'll come to the dinner table, you know. But you look at some of the, the people who... Uh, um, caused revival. Whitfield, who preached here in the uh, 1716 and 1700s, I think it was, um, had a sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And he made people confront God's holiness with their sin. He he talked about sin. And he talked about God's righteousness. And how people were not fit to meet a holy God. And they say that that he preached out in the open and two hours after he preached people were still shaking lying down on the ground slain in the spirit could not move uh, there was no healing line <laughs> to entice them you understand what i'm saying uh, just get out there and get what the holy spirit when when peter preached He stood there in front of the people who had crucified Jesus and told them that they just killed their Messiah. And they wanted to kill him too. But he did it anyway. Paul did the same thing everywhere he preached. He went and preached to Jews and told them that this Jesus whom you crucified... (laughs) is now raised up from the dead people have to confront their sin in order to get saved i don't know what kind of salvation we're selling out here but people have to understand their need for god based on where they're at you can't just move them into the the kingdom you know and and be false friends with them you know (laughs) people in the in the modeling world call the zhuzhing oh we'll have time for zhuzhing you know with the makeup kiss Mm -hmm. oh you know never kiss anybody you can't do that and get people saved you have to really have people come face to face with their need for god and their need for god is in their sin john the baptist called the, the the pharisees snakes and vipers And this is kind of interesting because it will put conviction on you as somebody witnessing for God. He said, who has told you to come and escape? So if we offer the gospel as an escape from hell, we're wrong. You understand what I'm saying? He turned them away. He said, I know what you did. You heard you go to hell if you don't come to this meeting and step up here and act like you saved. Who told you, who who warned you what to say and how to operate? Because he knew religious people were good for that stuff. They knew exactly what to say to sound like they were in the club. This is no club. This is a personal contract between you and God a personal covenant between you and God where you agree to that your life of sin is over forever and you turn away and serve the living God that's what salvation really is it's not filling up a church building of people who talk the same jargon you know and say the same thing It's it's a personal confrontation of your unrighteousness and look at his holiness. And what are you going to do? So Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us he's looking for a transformed bride. Mind's renewed. She's not doing this for a minute and get back to the same old, same old. And she don't have an attitude about doing right. So she has been tried in the fires of life. Walks in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's why you, you get your mind transformed. So that you can do the will of God. Number two, she's unspotted from the world. Doesn't like the world anymore. Now uh, sometimes people hang on to one little worldly habit they have or they just don't want to let go. Well, the bride he's looking for wouldn't won't do that. You don't have to hold on. Sometimes people just got to have some music they like from the world. You know, the music's old and tired and doesn't even look right on you no more, but you refuse to let go of it. Sometimes it's worldly dress or worldly talk or worldly friends, all that kind of stuff. The the bride of Christ isn't like that. Now, I, I was always a good friend and good neighbor to all of my neighbors. You know, that nobody I, nobody I had strife with, nobody I didn't like, didn't get along with, but I did in fellowship with them. I didn't go over to their, well we take that back, we went to one party one time. <laughs> they were scared I was going to take the mic. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> they they were say, Well, what do you do? And I'd tell them, I said, I know, right? Bummer. Who invited the preacher? I said, I just came because she told me to come over here and I didn't invite myself. Never went back again. You know, but but you just want to let people know you you're a friendly person, you know, but you can't do that and be a Christian. You can't be over there and they drinking beer and flirting with each other, but what are you going to do when you see that? You can't stop it, so just don't go. The crucified bride is what she is. She is crucified with him. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but it's Christ who lives in us. Amen. So, so she is crucified and, and is, a, a, is compatible with her crucified groom. That's what makes us compatible with Christ. He isn't coming until we're compatible with him. Okay, you're not going to take an immature bride to meet his father. Now, huh? That's called, what is that called? jail bait or something like that <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah right robbing a cradle right there yeah we don't do that uh, he he can wait until we're mature enough to be in a position there is a life after this one here that he's preparing us for and we don't know all of the details of it but it has to do with governing the earth righteously now, these people who are are cursing God and, and uh, just living a life of sin, you really think those people can get a front row seat in heaven? I mean, it pays to live right down here. Other than that, if anybody would qualify, we could all just live for the devil all the time and then take our last minute emergency exit thing like John the Baptist criticized the Pharisees for. This is not just a, a you know get out of jail free card. This is a lifestyle. This is a total change into what you're used to doing. The bride of Christ is compatible with the Lord. She's able to overcome. That means there are obstacles out there, not not compromised with the enemy, not not uh, you know. Uh, water down your sermon because you're on television and you're very popular and you want to stay out there you don't water it down I remember hearing someone say they were uh, well we didn't know what to do about uh, uh, preaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit and I thought huh so they don't so all those people that come in there that aren't spirit-filled leave out The same way they came in. And that's why these people get frustrated teaching these people the same basic things over and over again. Because they don't equip them to carry any of it out. I hated everybody before I started praying in tongues. I'm just going to be honest with you. And then I realized instead it keeps you in the love of God. <laughs> no wonder things have gotten better. <laughs> see, people think you just be be saved with basic, you know, basic bare minimum stuff. But you can live in this world. You see things a whole lot different when you're in the spirit instead of just being indwelt by the spirit. You've got to get immersed in the spirit. So that so that that fullness of God will start to permeate you, so the Holy Spirit can work. And then there's the empowerment for witnessing. Your witness is shot. You know, if if you can't kick a cigarette habit, you understand what I'm saying. That little things like that will and will shoot your witness if you don't realize that God has a way to get that spot of the world, get every spot off of you. So she un- overcomes, and in- meet- she sees the world as an obstacle to be overcome, not as something to lure her to compromise. And she overcomes by the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony, and does not love her life unto the death. So she's crucified with her Lord. She goes where the Lord goes. <laughs> it's just that simple. I know most women these days. Well, he ain't gonna just drag me everywhere. Okay. Why don't you walk (laughs) with him? (laughs) He ain't gonna boss me. Oh, boy. You know, and God gives us marriage to kind of. Mellow us down for the real thing, you know, because what God requires is is gonna really hurt your feelings sometimes, you know. You just you can't have your way. The bride of Christ is a mature bride. Ephesians four thirteen. Did we do that one? No, we did five something. Four thirteen. Let me see what that one says with my teeny print Bible. <laughs> he says, "Oh yeah." Uh, it's from Ephesians 4:11. It says, he, "He ascended on high to uh, captivity captive, gave gifts unto men." And it talks about the fivefold ministry gifts: apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, for the uh, perfecting, maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry. You know, I noticed that that when I was learning. Ministry, and I still am. But basics, I didn't care if somebody was a pastor, evangelist. If God said go there and learn from, them, I went, and I had to sit under different types of people's meeting, meetings. And and more than more often than not, though, I would gravitate to apostles and prophets meetings because that was what I'm called to do. And so when I started doing that, I realized that. Ninety, ninety, ninety-nine percent of people in the church don't even have that exposure. And it's not that you have to wait for your pastor to bring them in. But sheep go where they're led by the great shepherd. Now, I don't encourage people to be rebellious and whatever, whatever. But if you're going to mature, you're going to have to get influenced by the, the gifts that are called to mature you this is how the church is kept immature we just lock each other out block each other out uh, you know I I, I, I was uh, when my husband was alive we would uh, attend a church before we had a Sunday meeting we'd attend a church on Sunday I always used to like to go somebody's church on Sunday even though we only had one meeting a week because I thought it was a good witness you know what I'm saying and, and you know you you get encouraged and all of that and I'm not going to say I learned a whole lot not that I know at all but I didn't but I went some things you do, Jesus went to the temple because it was his custom. Didn't say he learned a whole lot. Uh, how could he? <laughs> and I'm not him. But I'm saying sometimes you'll do some things out of custom, out of habit, just be in the place. And then God will give you more after he, you, know, you find out what it is that you need. But we went there and I had... Uh, We had taken a bus of people uh, to Benny Hinn. He had a meeting here downtown somewhere. And we had just taken a bus of people there. And the pastor gets up in the pulpit. Uh, You don't have to wait for the evangelist to come to town to get healed. Oh, boy, here we go. And, you know... uh, if it was just for that to learn what not to do like what not to wear <laughs> it's a learning experience you understand what i'm saying because this is the problem this is why people don't mature is because when they seek maturity or they seek help they get rebuked for doing it and then they're confused and don't, well, well, what 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 was wrong with him? Didn't, didn't he preach right or did he say something wrong? And then they're confused and don't go back anymore. And that's exactly what the people in charge want. They want to keep you there. They don't realize you can turn on TV and get fed. him. You get his books on, in the bookstore. You know, there's a lot of ways to get fed. I tell people I would learn more from dead ministers than I do from the ones who are alive now. I read their stuff. I look at their videos because they had the goods. I'll look at anybody, listen to anybody who got the goods. If you don't got the goods, I'm elsewhere. Don't have time to waste with a lot of confusion. And so, is mature bride is submitted to God's chosen leadership. Fivefold ministry gifts got to have all five to get your maturity. She chooses to live in community with other believers in order to grow to the stature of Christ. So we help one another to grow. When we live in community, and when I say that, I mean fellowship regularly and wherever God's called you to be. You grow with people. You pray with them. You share with them. You encourage them. You mourn with them. Rejoice with them. You give to the wedding gifts and, the, you know, all the kids' graduations, that kind of stuff. That's in community with believers. And she knows how to function as her part of the body of Christ. She has grown in the knowledge of the Son of God and is mature and able to carry out the great commission through faith and patience. So, the mature bride is a soul winner. She is a wise bride. God is looking for wisdom in His people, He's looking for a bride who bears fruit. That means she reproduces after her own kind. She is a soul winner. That comes along with wisdom. You understand how to listen to God in order to reach people. And she's a submitted bride. She follows the master wherever he leads. She's a bride who walks in love. Not flaunting and vaunting herself up and not prideful. Not arrogant and boastful. Not easily provoked or upset or offended, uh, forgives easily, uh, takes responsibility, uh, doesn't hold, uh, uh, doesn't want to retaliate when somebody does wrong. I mean, mature, somebody who's, and doesn't feel like a pushover for doing it. You know what I'm saying? Some people don't say anything, and they're fearful. They're not really obeying God. They're just not doing anything. And, and people know how to process what's going on. You know, I'm doing this because the Spirit of God is leading me to hold my peace or leading me to speak up or leading me to do one thing or another. She knows how to obey uh, the Lord. And patient and kind and, then you know, able to withstand and bear all things. She obeys the Lord. The Word, as Mary did, she says, let it be unto me. She submitted to the Word. Right? Let it be unto me according to your Word. I don't want to do anything other than what you have called me to do. She's that ambitious for vainglory. You know I mean not trying to be somebody or be the biggest this or the greatest that or you know when when you do wind up being the biggest you don't listen to it you understand what I'm saying you give God glory for it because it's he who has done it. You know, you can be big in a lot of a lot of methods now. They you know, they're PR public relations firms that work with churches that show them how where to advertise, how to advertise, what kinds of things to say to draw people and no 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 no. They've done that forever forever that 's how mega churches came into existence. you know people started they would start to grow kind of organically through evangelism, but after a while those people aren 't hitting the streets looking for people anymore they they start now we transfer over to mass media if we get on television, then we can do certain things. I was uh, talking with a, a friend of mine and we used to have him come in do our conferences for a while and um he was telling me he was well I, w- I would pray for him and and so when I he would come to conference I'd say well you know call me when you get home for your prayer request because we want to pray you know and so it was it was a good relationship and so um I he would he was, and he called me one time. He said, "Yeah, he said I, I was uh, talking to some people. He was a Rama graduate, and I'm very good friends with Brother Hagen. And um, uh, he said, um, he said uh, I was talking to Copeland the other day, and he said, 'Are, are, aren't you having your own meetings yet?' And he was. He's an evangelist and he would be, you know, people would call him and ask him to go. He's invited, more invited than when you have your own meetings. You don't have to wait for people to invite you. Um, but you have to make sure God calls you to do it. And so he said, you know, and I, I was praying about it. And he said, I think, he said, a, a, a guy came up to me and said he could get me on TBN at a discount price. You know what the discount price was? $50,000 You know what $50,000 would do if he took it And got bought tickets for the rest of his life to South America Where he holds big crusades at different churches <laughs> So he pays the production fee and goes on there He makes a few videos And nothing ever con- comes of it and he says that they thought that would be the way to give him the exposure he needed to get enough following to have him. And I'm thinking, just have a meeting with ten people. Just have your meeting. And, and do what God tells you to do and watch it grow. And he had mentored and discipled several really good evangelists. He was really good at that. But if you're looking at somebody else's what they do, as your measure of what God wants you to do. You're going to miss your thing. you go going to miss. And see that's a sign of immaturity. As good as we preach sometimes. And, it, and as fruitful as our preaching can be sometimes. It's a sign of immaturity. If we try man's methods to get God results. You can't do it. You've got to stay with what God told you to do. No matter what. No matter what. So, in the 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 bride, we said is a wise bride. She's loving. She's a soul winner. She bears fruit for God. Matthew twenty five thirteen talks about the five foolish and five wise versions, and it's kind of interesting what makes us wise and what makes us foolish. You know, wisdom isn't expensive. The Bible says wisdom calls to us all the time. She stands at the gates and calls to us. So in Matthew 25. Oh, 25. I'm over at 5. Sorry about that. There's a parable Jesus tells. Thirteen, I think it is. Uh oh, uh-uh. that's not it. it. started in one, I think. I should have put one to three. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, I don't know if all of you are aware of how the Jewish Wedding was, but the bride and groom were what they call betrothed to one another. So they were engaged. And they did have a ceremony. There was an engagement ceremony where vows were exchanged. And so, during the waiting time between the actual, what they call the marriage supper, where they would—that so was the final detail uh, of what they call marriage—but vows were actually exchanged when, during, before the betrothal. That's why some some translations refer to marry. And Joseph, they say marry his espoused wife. But in some translations it calls him his wife. Because as long as there was a vow, there was as good as a marriage. We're just waiting on the waiting period. Waiting period was very important. Because they both got tested to see if they would be faithful to one another. Until the day of the marriage supper. So this episode here with the virgins. uh, Ten wise and ten foolish. They were waiting to meet the bridegroom. And what happened was. The bride would get all her little stuff together. She got her um, from the family. They had a dowry. She had uh, her bridal clothing and all that kind of stuff. And it was... Pre bought and put away in anticipation that the bridegroom could really come at any time. The bridegroom would then go about preparing the place where they would stay. We just talked about the mansion onto the family property. They would work through a mediator to make sure all the details of life were. These are the terms of the covenant. So as they were in the waiting period, more of the terms of covenant were nailed down and she had like a rough idea of when he would be coming but he'll always come at night potty time so (laughs) that's why you need a lamp amen to find your way out into the street and the bridegroom when the bride Bridal party would precede the bridegroom down the street, and they would begin to say, "The bridegroom cometh." Now, you didn't get a date, invitations, pre nothing. You just had to anticipate at any time. Amen. He could show up. You had like a ten-minute warning, which meant you had to get up every morning, call me aware. You know. Sometimes we skip sometimes if we can't. Get up in a shower every day, you know, the whole thing, you know, is clean, polished, ready all the time. And so when the bridegroom would come, the they would make their way to a place of the marriage feast. And that is why the lamps had to be kept in order. You couldn't just have an old rickety lamp over there. Oh yeah, I don't know what I do with that thing. It was it was smelling funny, so I just put a no, new. It had to be trimmed, wick trimmed, filled with oil all the time. Filling with oil means your spirit filled. I don't know how people think they can get everything God has by refusing to pray in tongues, but, you know, some do. You got me? These signs will follow those who believe. Those who believe not shall be what? Damned. They don't go. Or least don't go first time out. I don't know what happens to them. But I would get all I could that God has for me. And cut the nonsense. Stop the shenanigans. So it says five of them were foolish. Five wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil. Oh he's not coming this time. We've been through this drill before. You know what I'm saying. It says the wise ones however took oil in jars along with their lamps because he might be a while the bridal party will come and announce and it might go till dawn next morning Hmm, we've been through this drill before he ain't coming and so it says the bridegroom was a long time in coming so the ones that did not have enough oil couldn't see how to get to the bridal and you had to have your lamp to find your way into the bride. I think a, the lamp was a part of the ceremony as well and they all had to be lit. Not sure, just guessing, but it was, it was an essential part of the ceremony as well. And at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. And all ten virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Now the wise have enough oil for themselves, but they know this ain't no time to share nothing. There is a time to share and a time not to share. Foolishness will get into feeling sorry for people and think they have to help them out anyway. And delay their own. But see the bride has been waiting anticipating the groom. So she is not going to delay for nope this is my time. I've been waiting for this a long time. You go buy something from somebody. You try to find somebody buy your oil. But this is any other time I'd help you out. But this ain't this ain't that time. And so we anticipate the coming of the Lord. We anticipate and that's all we're focused on. Is what he wants us to do. Now a wise bride is going to do that anyway. Whether it's it's rapture time or not. This is supposedly a picture of the rapture. But it's a picture of how we live for God every day. We know when to share when not to share. We know when to pray for folk and when not to pray for folk. We know how to tell them to go get their own understanding of the things of God. All of that. So the mature bride understands when her time, and it's also a picture of a bride who who understands how to spend time with God. You know, uh, the foolish virgins could be the people that always need you to pray for them, or always need you to help them out with something, and never learn how to help themselves. Got me, and delay you doing what God wants you to do. Just trying to, they want to just live off of you all the time. So this is a picture of the relationship of foolish to wise saints in the body of Christ. There are times when you can help people. And it's not hurting you, but if it's time you know you're supposed to be with God, go be with God. It is like, you know, people uh, say, well, what time can I call you? I said, I really don't talk to anybody before noon. And they think I'm sleeping. I don't tell them what I'm doing. But I'm not sleeping. I'm reading the word. I'm studying. I'm praying. And and I don't want to tell them what I do. Why? Because people always want to talk you out of what you do. So you give them enough? Of, nope, I don't answer the phone. So you can call me anytime after twelve. I said, just have a habit of not doing anything until after then. Uh-huh. Some people call anyway. They, you tell them you praying and you talking to God. They'll call you anyhow, just to see if they can interrupt something. So I don't, you know, just be wise or mean. I don't care what they call me. Call it mean. They call it anything they want to, but I'm not. I'm not going to get on the phone and gang with you about nothing or whatever it is you want we don't do that in God's time we just don't do it you don't borrow off of his time for anything you're not that important to what's going on to do that so the in the uh, last thing the bride of Christ is a prophetic bride she knows the power of her words and chooses to speak only as he speaks trusting in the Lord Acts chapter 1 tells us when the, when she's, and she's spirit filled of course. The outpouring will cause sons and daughters to prophesy. She understands that prophecy isn't for certain people or, you know, you can't do that or whatever. She just speaks the word of the Lord, you know. If he puts an unction on it, so be it. But but she understands the importance of prophetic also. She understands the importance of God speaking to us. On a continual basis Prophetic people understand How important it is To receive what we always used to call The rhema word of God You know the one that's spoken to your heart Well now it's a rhema and a prophetic word So it can be repeated And it can bear fruit Over and over and over again Spirit of prophecy does that And so when when we understand As mature brides what, What we're about You're about the father's business at all times making disciples out of all men. Now that it's warm again, we can go out and, and minister to people on the streets and soul win and, and pray for them and invite them to church and get them saved and all of that. You know, people are very shy sometimes about uh, coming into a building, you know. They want you to stand out and talk to them all day long and say, Well, come on in and learn more. I will. I'm going to get there one day, you know. There's this this, this unusual kind of season we're in. It's not really apostate, but people don't have really an enthusiasm and a zeal for God sometimes. Like, And, and they get a lot of stuff online. They're so tied into online and television and YouTube videos. And, and there's some little kid, eight-year-old boy, showed up in a McDonald's drive through with his four-year-old sister in the car with him, and he wanted a hamburger. It was late at night. And the, the cashier said, at first they thought it was some kind of prank, and she looked and didn't see any adult there. And she asked, they, they pulled the little boy out of there and asked him, "I said, how did you learn to drive?" He said, "Watching YouTube videos." So he got on there and watched another, and probably been practicing when the parents weren't looking, because he got the car. Looked like he'd get the car anytime, but he didn't leave his little sister at home. Lord have mercy. <laughs> but anyway, that's the society that we live in now, folks. And then we see people in persecuted nations that are starving for the word. And, you know, risking their lives to win a soul. So forth and so on. So it just depends on, but at any rate, we must preach the gospel. You got me to Every creature. Make sure people are saved, that they have a real encounter with God, where they can look at their life and see fruit. They've turned away from sin and live righteously. And that's what God wants. He wants his bride to be about his business like that. Amen. Why don't we stop? Well, Lord, we do thank you for giving us opportunity to hear your word and share the things that God wants again. Father, we love your word. We love it when you give us your wisdom and your knowledge and your understanding. So, Father, I thank you for the people assembled here today. May they increase in this place. May we be able to take souls in this city of Hamtramck and Detroit, Father, wherever they are, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord.